Um, so a few years ago, I heard Francis Chan, who's a Christian speaker, ambassador, and writer, and he was talking about this interview he did with some South Korean Christians who were uh, volunteering as medical personnel in Iraq, and they were actually captured by the Taliban, and they were held for months and months against their will, and uh, they went through torture, and they were imprisoned, and you know they had very little food, medical help, and it was a horrific experience, but as he was talking to them, they started sharing, they were like, you know, even though it was bad and we missed our families and it was terrible and we never want that again, at the same time, there was a spiritual richness in that experience. And they said, honestly, in some ways, we were closer to Jesus than we ever been, and Jesus felt more real to us and more alive, and our Christianity uh, felt like a real thing more than ever before. And so they said, we never want to do that again, but at the same time, there's a part of us that there was something in that horrific experience that was good, that was great, that was wonderful. They enjoyed this closeness with Jesus they started talking about, and they're like, it's a horrible experience, but in the midst of this, there was this joy. And that's what we're talking about over the next few weeks. We talked about last week how happiness is when good things happen to you, and unhappiness is when unpleasant things happen to you. But joy is a through line. Through the ups and downs of life, I think that we can experience joy. And I think that every joy we have comes from Jesus. I think that Jesus is the source of every joy we have in our lives. And so just now, let's take a collective moment and just thank Jesus for every joy you have in your life. I know Sean was sharing this morning, he wore his bacon shirt because he's like, bacon brings me joy. Now he named family and church and some other things, but he's like, bacon's one of those joys. We have Jesus to thank for that. And uh, there's many things in my life that I'm like, thank you, Jesus. For these things, they bring me joy. But there's some areas in my life where I'm like, that doesn't bring me joy. That's a source of pain. That's a source of difficulty. That's an unpleasant thing. That doesn't bring me joy. And I think that sometimes we exclude some places where there's some hidden joy because we think, no, no, no. Those places can't have any joy for me. Things like bacon, that brings joy. Things like family, that brings joy. But these areas of my life, these don't have any joy. These are awful things. These are painful things. These can't have joy in them. And I think the Bible actually suggests something different. And so we're going to look at James chapter 1, the first four verses this morning. And it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various kinds of trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete and lack nothing. Now, who was James? James was the half-brother of Jesus. He was Jesus' brother. He grew up with him. He saw what Jesus did. And what we see in Scripture is actually he didn't really buy into Jesus. Can you imagine your brother saying, by the way, I'm the promised Messiah who's going to restore the relationship between God and man. And you're like, yeah, I grew up with you. You're not going to do that. You know, like, you're like, oh, yeah, firstborn. Jesus was the firstborn. You know, like, sounds like a firstborn. Getting heirs and delusions of greatness, you know. I get together with my brother and sister, and I'm like, I'm smarter than you are. You know, and they're like, yeah, firstborn, shut up. Um, and so I, he dismissed Jesus. And, in fact, we see several places in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that record the life of Jesus that um, his family would come in and say, hey, you're not doing the job of an eldest son. An eldest son was supposed to keep the family going and keep the family business going, and you're out trying to be a rabbi. You need to come back and do the work of an eldest son. 
And so James didn't buy into it, but we know that after something happened where James actually became the leader of the first Christian church in Jerusalem. He became the pastor there. And uh, I think the only thing that makes sense for a younger brother to believe that his older brother is actually the Messiah and start leading a church is that he saw his older brother die and come back to life. That's about the only thing that would be, okay, maybe my brother is actually something more than what I thought because he was dead and I saw him executed. He was dead for three days and now he's come back. And so one of the reasons I believe the resurrection is because you have these people who didn't believe and then something happens to make them believe. And James was one of those. And so he starts leading the church at Jerusalem. And um, so it's actually the biggest Christian church in the world in the first century. And so you have thousands of people, many of them Jewish people, who have converted to following the ways of Jesus. And what happens is anytime that power is threatened, it starts pushing back, right? Christianity threatens the powerful and the rich because Jesus says God sides with the poor and those who have no influence. He sides with the poor and the slave and the imprisoned, and he's going to side with these people. And all of a sudden, the Roman Empire saw that as a threat, and the Jewish religious leaders saw that as a threat to their power. And so they began imprisoning Christians, seizing their property. In some cases, they were even killing them. And so what happens to the biggest Christian church in the world in Jerusalem? They start spreading out, and they start multiplying throughout the world because they can't stay in Jerusalem because of the persecution. So the church disbands a small number stay in Jerusalem, but they begin spreading out throughout the region. And Jesus even predicted this before he ascended to heaven. He said, you're going to start in Jerusalem, then you're going to spread into the suburbs, essentially, and then you're going to spread even farther than that, and then you're going to go everywhere in the world. And that's exactly what happened because of this persecution. But James was their pastor. And so as they spread out, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send them a letter to encourage them and to keep them going in the direction that they should go. And so he says, I'm writing here to the Israelites, to the Jewish people, to the 12 tribes who have been spread abroad because of this persecution. And he starts off his letter in the traditional Greek heading. He says, here's who's writing this. Here's who I am. Here's my position. And then he jumps right in. He doesn't spend a lot of time with small talk. He says, hey, by the way, if you're suffering right now as you read this, this is literally, literally his first line after, you know, hey, I'm James and I'm writing this letter. He says in verse 2, consider it joy if you're suffering right now. Now, can you imagine your land has been seized? Maybe your family has rejected you. You've had to leave your home country and everything that you've known because of this persecution. And you get a letter from your pastor and he says, hey, if you're suffering right now, that's joyful. You should be joyous about that. I, I don't know if I'd read the rest of the letter, you know? Like, I'd be like, thanks for that, you know? Um, it would be like if you got a, you're going through cancer treatment and someone sent you a letter and they're like, you're having the time of your life right now. I'd be like, I'm not reading the rest of this letter. But that's how he starts out. No small talk. He just jumps right in and he says, if you're going through a trial, if you're going through something difficult, if you're going through something hard, consider it a joy. He says that we should call hard things, we should call trials joy. Now, what is James not saying? Because I think sometimes we could build some unhealthy ideas out of this. He's not saying to trick yourself. Have you ever seen a parent do this? And they're like, they've got carrots, and they're like, dessert, eat your dessert. And the kid's like, that looks like a vegetable, but they're calling it dessert. 
I'll try it. And then they're like, that's not dessert. James not calling, telling us to lie to ourselves. And like, if you trick yourself into thinking that pain is joy, eventually you'll just be like, this is joy, I guess. I'm just going to go with it. That's not what James is saying. And he's not saying, uh, he's not teaching us mind over matter here. Like, if we just will it to be joy, it'll become joy. He, he's not saying that. He's not saying, like, if you concentrate and you meditate enough, your pain will actually turn into pleasure. So what is he saying? Uh, do you remember Sesame Street? I watched a lot of Sesame Street growing up. And uh, weirdly enough, I think HBO owns Sesame Street now. You know, it's like how times change. But there was a character on Sesame Street called The Count. And I actually looked him up on Google because I didn't know this. His full name is Count Von Count. What a stupid name. I never knew that. As a kid, I just always thought he was a count. Um, if you know me very well, you know I hate numbers. I'm a words guy. I like words. I hate numbers. I look at numbers and I just get, I get tired. Darby will be like, let's talk about our budget. I'm like, I'd rather jump in front of a moving train. Like, I hate numbers. Um, but I think that I hate numbers and I hate vampires because of the cat. I hated this character. Every time he'd come on, I'd go do something else until that his section was over. Um, but he would always count things on the show, right? And he would have like all these numbers up on a board and he'd be like, count the blue numbers. And you were supposed to count how many blue numbers there were. Or he'd be like, count the yellow things. And you were supposed to count how many yellow things were on the screen. What James is saying is, when you look through your life to count up the areas and the experiences and the things that cause you joy, don't count out the hard things, count them in when you're looking for the sources of joy in your life. Don't leave out the hard things, count them, consider them also as a source of joy in our life. Our natural tendency is to look to things like our family, or our vacation, or our success, and assume that that is the only place that joy is found. But when we look at our tragedy, or our heartbreak, or our disappointment, we assume there's no joy. We're like, no, those are painful things, there's no joy in those things. Joy lives over here. And what James is saying is, there's a joy in these things too. And you naturally assume that there's not, but you need to start assuming that there is. Now, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with buried treasure. I wanted to find buried treasure so bad. I didn't even care if it was worth anything. I didn't even care if I got to keep it. I wanted buried treasure. One time a boat, a houseboat ran aground and uh, it started to take on water and sink and whoever was living on it abandoned it and I like swam out there well waited out there it wasn't very deep and then I climbed onto the ship and I'm like going through this half sunken ship looking for treasure it was mostly just a bunch of old liquor bottles and water sock junk but I was like I'm gonna find treasure on the ship and I ripped off the uh the ship wheel and I saved that as like I got this for my treasure hunt but when I was a kid I asked for a shovel because I was a weird kid and I was like mom dad I want a shovel I want this shovel. And they're like, okay, just don't dig holes in the yard. You just bought a kid a shovel. He's gonna dig holes in the yard. And so I would go out digging, looking for treasure. And I just dug holes everywhere because I'm like, I'm gonna find treasure. And I find like an old horseshoe, and I'm like, this could be from the Civil War right here. You know, like everything was a treasure to me. And uh, I think I got a strip from Kelvin and Hobbes up here. Um, sometimes Darby asks, she's like, why are you the way that you are? Because I grew up reading Kelvin and Hobbes, I think. And I think that's the most influential thing in my life. But, you know, Kelton's out here digging a hole, and Hobbs is like, have you found anything? And he's like, I found dirty rocks and weird roots. And Hobbs is like, on your first try, you found all these treasures? And that's how I was. Everywhere I dug, I found something that felt like a treasure. Just like treasure seekers, I think we need to be joy seekers. 
And instead of assuming that in the middle of your suburban yard you're not going to find treasure, you should assume, if I dig deep enough and long enough, I'm going to find something of value, of worth, of joy. Instead of dismissing a situation or a grief as too painful or too evil or too bad to house any joy, we need to look at it as if there is joy here somewhere. If I don't dismiss it, if I don't give up looking for it, I can actually find joy in this. Um, Justin's not here today because he's sick, but he, he and I started playing this uh, horrible video game. It was like low budget, graphics were terrible, but for some reason we started playing it. It was called Seven Days to Die, and every seven days, waves of zombies attack you, and otherwise you just explore this big world looking for resources. And so we went into this one house, and there was a safe in there. And we were like, there's going to be good stuff in here. And to open the safe required five minutes of real world time of like holding down a button to break this thing open. Yes, I've wasted a lot of my life on doing <laughs> um, And so here we are, the two of us, for five minutes breaking this thing open. And we open up the safe and we're like, man, there's going to be like a bazooka in here. There's going to be something awesome. There were springs inside. Useless. And so then one day we were walking just out in this area in the game and there was a bag of garbage and we opened up. There were guns and knives and ammunition and all this stuff. And we were like, sometimes garbage can house really good stuff. That became our motto. You know, the, we were checking garbage cans and we were checking uh, trunks of trees in this game because we're like, that's where the good stuff is. And sometimes we assume that there's certain areas of our lives that are treasure chests, that are wall safes, and we're like valuable, good, joyous things are going to be found in there. And then we look at these other areas and we're like, that's garbage. There's going to be no joy in it. And I think what God is telling us, what James is telling us is, there's a joy to be found in those things that many times we miss because we're not looking for it and it's unexpected. So as I started thinking about finding things and finding hidden joy, it immediately made me think of finding Easter eggs. Anybody have uh, find Easter eggs when you were a kid? Okay, a few people, yep. Um, I loved finding Easter eggs. Maybe that was the treasure hunter in me. I was always like, hide them better so that I can find them again. Like, I want to find those Easter eggs. Um, for the last two years, we partnered with the Lower Marion Township and the local business association to put on community Easter egg hunts. And um, we've had several hundred kids come out to those the last two years, and we stacked, uh, uh, we packed, I think, 8,000 eggs last year. And uh, we just have this area in this park in Bryn Mawr that they give us to use, and we don't really hide them because it's just a big grassy area, so we pretty much just throw them all out there, you know, and you throw them out there in waves, and once it's cleared out, you put out another wave. And I'm like, that isn't very fun. Like, you know, the kids just kind of come out and they're like, oh good, Easter eggs, and they're like scooping them into their baskets. I like when they're hidden. There's something more fun about that. And I started thinking about, why do parents hide eggs? Why don't they just say, here's your eggs? Because it's more fun sometimes to look for them. And uh, I started thinking about this. So like, why does God hide the joy in painful things? Why doesn't he just give it to me? He's like, this is going to be painful, here's your joy. Uh, why do I have to look for it? I, I think that... Parents hide eggs because there's a joy both in getting the eggs and there's a joy in finding the eggs. And I think some of the joy that God gives us in the midst of grief is both getting the joy in it, but also the process of finding joy in the midst of the pain. I think that God has hidden joy in our worst heartbreaks and our biggest disappointments, and he hasn't done this to keep joy from us. He's done this to give us hope and to remind us of his love in the midst of our most painful I started thinking about this as I was preparing. How often have I missed out 
on the joy that God hid from me because I simply dismissed the possibility of something so painful holding any joy at all for me. I'm like, that's too painful. I'm not going to even look for joy in that because there won't be any. Instead of saying joy can only be found in pleasant things, I have to begin to realize that joy can be found anywhere because God can be found anywhere. And God is the source of all joy, and wherever God is, we can find joy there. Uh, when my brother was little, he was he's 16 years younger than me, and so I, I was fairly old by the time he's like five and six years old. And uh, he did this weird thing where we had this big couch cushion and we would sit it down in front of the couch and people would use it as like a prop for when you're watching TV or something. Well, there was a side of it where the seam was coming out. And as a little kid, he started reaching in there and taking out stuffing out of this giant pillow. And he put it in his pocket. And so my mom would do laundry and she would find all the time like, I hear all this like pillow stuffing in his pocket. And so then he started having this pillow stuffing all the time. And as he would wander around, you would see like this trail of pillow stuffing. And so sometimes you'd be walking through the house and you're like, oh, Micah's been through here, my brother's been through here, because he'd left a trail of pillow stuffing everywhere he went. And I remember one time at his church, they were they're like, what is this weird stuffing around here? And they followed it, and he's like walking down a hallway, and he's got this little pile of pillow stuffing. And so the joke became, everywhere that Micah leaves, he leaves a trail of this pillow stuffing. I think that Jesus leaves a trail of joy everywhere he walks, and he's been everywhere. And because he's been everywhere, he is everywhere, we can find joy everywhere. Now James says that all this hard stuff, all this joy seeking in the midst of difficult things of life can actually produce something good in us. Look at what he says in verse 3. We know that the testing of your faith, your faith being put under pressure, you going through hard things, actually produces endurance. And when endurance has its full effect, you may be mature and complete lacking nothing. Now he's not talking about having no wants, no desires. He's talking about you become spiritually mature, complete. You become like Jesus. <laughs> One of the first joys I think you can find in something hard is recognizing that the unpleasant thing that you are facing is doing something inside of you. It's changing you. It's growing you. James says that hard things produce spiritual endurance. So even when you're going through something hard and you're like, I'm looking for joy in this, but I don't know what it is, you can say, okay, the first joy that I, I know is here is that Jesus is going to use this to make me more like him, to make me to live and love more like him. I think that walking through something challenging increases your capacity to face something challenging and more challenging and more challenging. In Tennessee, I had a friend, his name was Chris, and uh, he was... A, um, he had served in the armed forces, and when he got back, he had some complicated family situation. He ended up homeless on the streets. He was a homeless man. And uh, eventually, he was able to get a job, and uh, he eventually got an apartment, and he actually got into a good company and started moving up in that company. And he, uh, he started this hobby where he would do long-distance running. Not just marathons, I'm talking, he would run like 100 miles. It was crazy. I, he was the only person I've ever known who would run these super long distances, where he would run like all day and then back. And um, so I started to ask him, I was like, how do you keep going? When you're a mile like 80, and you're like, oh, I have 20 more miles to run, how do you keep going? And he says, Alex, I just say to myself, I beat homelessness, I could run another 20 miles. 
And so he went through something very hard, something very challenging, and it became a banner or a rallying, rallying cry whenever you face something hard in the future. Maybe you've known someone and they're like, every time you ask them, you're like, oh, I don't know if we can do this. They say like, well, I beat cancer, I could beat this. You know, it's like once you've gone through something hard, it becomes a banner to give you courage to face new challenges. The thing that wrecks your world today may make you strong enough to change the world tomorrow. So as we face difficult, unpleasant, painful things, let's remember that there's joy hidden in the midst of those things. Joy that's been hidden by a loving father, and he has placed that joy for us to find hope even in painful moments. I think one of the easiest joys to find is that he will not waste our pain, but he'll use it to spiritually renovate our souls. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, he never wastes tears or hardship or pain. I think that many times God uses hardship to dismantle our limits and to rebuild us to live and love more like his son, Jesus. So as we come to the end, what do we do with this? What do we take away? What do we put into practice? Well, maybe you're facing something that's difficult or hard right now. And if you're not, life tends to come along with hard things eventually. And so if you're not facing something right now, you probably will in the next few months. So the first thing I think I need to do is realize that in the midst of what I'm facing right now, in the midst of what I don't like right now, what's unpleasant, what I wish wasn't there, first of all, I have to admit that there's joy to be found here because God is good and he's put joy in it. And so the first thing I need to do is start looking for joy in these things rather than saying, I just want to get out of these things. I just don't want to face them. I just don't want them to be there. Say, okay, there's joy here. I need to find it. And then ask Jesus to point you to the joy. I think sometimes we miss it because we don't ask for it. He wants to show us. I remember sometimes with my parents, they're like, okay, you found 20 of 25 eggs. There's five left. They're kind of over that way. You know, and they kind of steer me in the right direction. You know, or they do the thing where I start looking at a place and they're like, you're getting colder, you're getting colder. And then they're like, oh, now you're getting warmer. You're hot. It's right in this area. I think God will point out the joys to us in the midst of our sorrow if we ask. See, Jesus, I'm going through something so difficult right now. I know you've hidden joy in this. I can't find it. Will you guide me to what's joyous in this? Will you show me where you have put joy inside of this? And then sometimes I think one of the, the greatest joys we can experience when we've gone through something difficult is helping someone else as they go through the same thing or something similar. And sometimes God has taken us through something and the joy we find is on the other side as we see someone else suffering or struggling or going through that and we can come alongside them and say, I know what you're feeling. I can't fix it, but I know what you're feeling. And sometimes that can be a joy that in, out of this sorrow we can help someone else. Every once in a while a pastor will come to me and he's like, I know what you're going through starting a church because I started out in a small church of only 150 people and we had a building and a parsonage and I had a full salary, but I get what you're going through starting a church. And I'm like, do you? Because I don't have any of those. You know, like, I don't think you understand. And so sometimes it's nice when I talk to another church planter and he's like, man, there's some ups and downs. There's some crazy emotional highs and lows. And I'm like, yeah, let's hug it out. You get what I'm saying. You've cried some tears. You've shed some blood. You've done some things. Uh, you understand. And uh, that brings not only me joy in that situation, but they get joy because they walk through something hard. You know, they get to share it with me. We're going to pray and then we're going to take... Um, 
We're going to take communion together. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will help us to find joy in hard things. That we won't just assume that joy only lives in the good things, but we'll recognize because you're a good God, you have placed goodness everywhere, even in the midst of hard, painful, unpleasant things. God, so often I want to run from difficult things instead of finding joy in those difficult things. God, I pray that you will teach us to be joy seekers. That we'll look for joy in every area of our lives. And when something is hard, we will cry out to you and you will guide us to the places where you have hidden joy and even our biggest disappointments and our greatest losses. I pray all these things like believe Jesus Christ would.